0: People ask me how I'm doing in terms of settling in, and I'm I'm still getting used to things. And I find I get to places where I'm not sure what your traditions are versus my background and my traditions. And sometimes when I do that, I do something that's maybe not healthy or good, but I try to make make light of things. And last week, before we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus, which I had chosen selectively, I, you know, depending upon people's backgrounds about invitations, it has a positive or a negative or it's uncomfortable or you're used to... We joke, and sometimes it's serious. There's a a hymn, Just As I Am, and they talk about in services where they'll sing 33 verses of Just As I Am until somebody finally comes down to the front. So I do what I used to do in the military. I want people to come and talk to me about making a decision for Jesus Christ. I mean, this text that we read reminds us that people responded to his words with faith. And so if you have questions, because I I never assume that everybody has everything sorted out because I don't. And I know in my own life there have been times when there have been what I call milestones where God gets a hold of me in a very special way at that point in my life to encourage me, to reshape me, to work in my life in a very special way. And so what I offer to you is one, sign up and I'll come talk to you, or if you need to, come talk to me at the end of the service. And, you know, I, I, they're, they're not here, but I have a passion for, for young people. That's what I did for most of my life. When you do chaplain's ministry, about 70% of your people are under 25. And so for 28 years, I was working with 20-somethings as they sorted through life. And one of the things that we began to say about males in the United States was they didn't begin to mature until they were 25. It just took longer for a whole bunch of reasons. And so today as we come into this passage in John 8 about Jesus saying that I am the light of the world. He does that in a very specific context. You go back to the beginning of chapter 7, and it sets the time of the event. And that is the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. It was when God had told them in the fall where they would come back and they would basically create a little village out of sticks and fabric and things, and they would not live in their hardened buildings. To remind them that they had camped for forty years with God, that God had lived in a tabernacle, and that every fall all the men had to go and bring as many of the family members as they could to Jerusalem to have this feast of tabernacles. And one of the things about the feast of tabernacles was to remind them that when they set up camp and the tabernacle was in the middle, that that tent of dwelling that light, that fire by night, that smoke by day, that God's light was there in the middle. That was reminded me. And when that smoke and that fire got up and moved, that's when they moved. But they had a visible reminder for 40 years and then into the temple time when that would happen. And one of the things that... Um, We know about the place. Remember I said time. Now this is the place. Because when you look in John 8 verse 20, it it talks about the treasury, which had overtaken and is another name for the court of women, which is where we see in the Bible Jesus doing most of his temple teaching. Now the temple was not a place that was designed for teaching. But when you think about the book of John, you think about the treasury, in the early chapters of John, basically about 18 months earlier, what did Jesus do? He went and overturned the tables. He disrupted. He had a little non-peaceful demonstration. So I would imagine that the people... That, you know, work in the temple are looking at Jesus and going, What's going to happen? Now, the second disruption happened later on. It didn't happen here. And so he's kind of at the heart in the temple of the place that has the most access to the most people when he is speaking. But it's also a place that would have had these massive, is the way they describe, candle obras that when they were lit at night could be seen from almost every place in Jerusalem. Because remember, the temple is built on the hill. And so this light would go out over the city during this feast. And so when Jesus, in that time and place, the Feast of Tabernacles had reminded them that God was among them, in that pillar of fire that pillar of light in that place in the treasury where the light went out to the city and so in the last year, as I said last week of his ministry he is introducing himself through these I Am's now one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to preach on when I get done with the seven IMs? And I haven't decided yet. But another sermon series is there are seven, possibly eight, miracles that Jesus does in John's Gospel. And so they make for a very interesting look at Jesus and his ministry and but what's interesting is most of the miracles are done in the early part of his ministry as opposed to the I.M.s, which are opposed in the last year as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he uses metaphors, bread, light, gate, good shepherd, resurrection and life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine um, for that now. One of the things about what I call the big story context of this again in relationship to light in creation God said let there be light on the first day now what you have to remember is that's in verse 3 and in verse 2 that's when he created darkness do you ever wonder why he created darkness first before light it's to have that contrast. It's to have something to come into. And so that darkness, I won't say it's the theater or the stage, but it's where God then is going to introduce light. And so when you have the creation, then you have the fall, when we fall into darkness, and we're going to look at darkness in this chapter. And then when you, we you think about redemption, he says, Follow me. we think about restoration, he is the light of the world. Remember that image of Christ in the book of Revelation at the end of times. The Lamb is the light of the world, the book of Revelation reminds us. Now there are several places where God would use small examples of light. You think about when God was making his covenant in Genesis 15 and that that smoking fire pot goes between the the sacrifices of the animals that have been cut in half. And God gives that little flare. We think about what God would do at Pentecost and put tons of fire. It's like the the fire would have gone out from having one, to putting it out and reminding all of us that God's fire, his light, is in us. Now, light is something that is mentioned 53 times in the Gospel of John. In the beginning, in verse 4, John 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So right from that very beginning, you have this relationship between light and life and Christ. Now, there are three ways I want to kind of divide up this passage. Of saying that, you know, the, the, big, the big story is, I am the light of the world. Then you have the light of the world in relationship to the Father and the Son and His divinity. The light of the world in terms of it's universal that He is the light of the world, but yet if you have to follow Him, if you don't follow Him, you're in darkness. And so you have these different images that you go through and you listen to This conversation and Jesus' teaching and John is reconstructing. And so you have all of these things together. Now, one of the things in this part of John's Gospel is that Jesus Christ is telling us in very clear ways that he has come to do the will of his Father. Remember, that was one of the things he said last week in terms of, I am the light of life. But it curated the controversy and it ultimately would be part of the reason he would be condemned to death. Because they understood that by claiming that God was his father, he was claiming divinity. And so when they asked him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. One of the things as I have worked in my ministry over more than 40 years, one of the doctrines that I think is neglected and needs to be taught, refined so people, is the doctrine of the Trinity. Because oftentimes we will talk about Jesus Christ in terms of salvation. But when we look at these passages, we see as Jesus offers himself, he also says, you have to know the Father who sent me. That there is a relationship always between the Father and the Son. You can't have the Son without having the Father. And later on in John, maybe not so much in this series, but you'll see where he tells us that the Father and Son are going to send the Holy Spirit so that we will understand all of this. Because look what Jesus says in verse 19. "You You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know the Father. And so it's not just theology. It's who Jesus is. That he is connected to his Father, that he was charged, when he was crucified, of claiming to be the Son of God, of claiming to be divinity. And that's part of what he was saying. And he wants us to know. Now, when he says that I am the light of the world, as I, hopefully the children, illustrated some of that here, he is both the source of light And he is light that goes out to the world. Now, world is another word that is used very often in John's Gospel of reminding us what Jesus said. And I think sometimes in our cultures, and I'm still learning about yours, so I don't want to make presumptions, but so often people think about Jesus in terms of their own lives and not in terms of the bigger picture. Not in terms of the global mission of the church. Because what it happened historically is we forgot this relationship between Christ and the world and we saw the world as something to be conquered and run by power and profit And we didn't see it, and we forgot that indeed it was to bring people to Jesus Christ, to bring them out of the darkness into the light. But to have that global image of Christ being the light of the world. Now, one of the things in the United States that we, you know, we we love numbers. And I think it's true that by now, There are more professing Christians in China than there are in the United States. There are more Presbyterians in certain parts of Africa than there are in Scotland and the United States. That God is at work in a lot of different places. And we need to have that vision of God and what we are a part of as a global enterprise, that God is concerned about people in every nation. That's why people like Wycliffe and others who want to translate the Bible into the language of the nations. Now, one of the passages that is I'm not sure whether say popular or it's one of those ones that, that sticks in our memory because we're at least many of us were taught it is an early age. When you go back in John's Gospel, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, Lest the works, their works be exposed. But whoever does come, what whoever does come to what is true to the light, so that they may clearly be seen that his works are carried out by God. See, the lights come into the world through Jesus Christ. We offer that to people. And he uses the illustration of light and darkness. Now, going back to the original to Genesis 2 and 3. Many people believe that in chapter, verse 3, rather, when the light comes into the darkness, you have the presence of God through light coming into darkness because celestial lights were not made until the fourth day, until Wednesday, or our Wednesday, anyway. And so you think about that God being the light coming into the world, He has created darkness so we can see it. But now darkness becomes the image of those who do not accept Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see the contrast that He's drawing? But he's using that to get people to decide, are you going to follow me and walk in the light? Or are you going to walk in the darkness? And John has already told us that Jesus says, when you walk in the darkness, you do that because you don't want people to see the evil that you're doing. Now in verse 24, he reminds us that we'll, we'll die in our sin if we don't follow him. Verse 28 reminds us about him being lifted up and then you're going to understand and of course being lifted up reminds us of what John recorded from Jesus in John 3, 14 when he uses the illustration of the serpent being lifted up. Remember when the serpent was lifted up and if you looked to it you would be healed in the desert? Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up like that. And so here again he reminds us that he is going to be lifted up. That we look at the lifted up Christ. We are in the light and our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus would tell us that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, one of the differentiations between light and darkness is that Jesus tells us how to love each other and how to care for each other. But one of the things he says in verse 18 of chapter 14 is, I will not leave you as orphans. That feeling of being an orphan, of of living kind of in the shadows, is something that, at least in English literature, there are an awful lot of orphan stories, aren't there? I mean, powerful ones. I mean, you know, I think Harry Potter is one of the most recent ones. One of the early ones was Peter Pan and the boys. That feeling of being an orphan is something they tell us happens sometimes in junior high because you feel so disconnected. You may be in a loving family, but they feel alone. And one of the things the gospel of walking in the light is that you are not alone alone. Because that light is not abstract, it is indeed the Son of God. Now, Jesus was a lot of things. And in this passage, he's an evangelist because it ends, And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. That the Word of God through the Holy Spirit working in people's lives can change them so that they follow and they believe in Him and they decide to follow Him. To live in the light. To make that choice. And that choice is hard. Now, sometimes we may feel like we're living in the shadows. We're, We're not in the dark, but we're in the shadows because we have lost touch with Jesus. Either we've been distracted, he's been crowded out, there's all kinds of things that can affect our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'd love to talk to you about that. But one of the things you will hear me say, like the people in verse 30, If we are not paying attention to the Word of God, if we are not reading the Word of God, we're not going to know God. And we're going to start making things up about God to fill the silence. And so, as this text reminds us, as Jesus stands there and teaches and speaks, you can respond to the Word of God in a fresh way, to follow Jesus and to not live in the darkness or in the shadows or be alone. Let us pray. Father, we pray that as we seek to follow you, as we seek to live in the light, Father, we pray that the word of God would be illumined in our lives so that we would know that we are loved, that we're not alone, that Jesus is the light of the world and we can follow him. We can be his disciples. We can listen to him. We can pray to him and know that he is with us. And so now, Father, as we finish our worship, as we Uh, Go our separate ways as we enjoy tea and coffee together, biscuits. Um, We pray, Father, that you would encourage us. But when we either turn on a light or go out into the bright sunshine or see the light coming through the clouds, we will remember that you are the light of the world. That that light should remind us each day, moment by moment, that you are who you say you are. and that we have the light of life because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.